Hoping to get a nice smooth recording without any fuck-ups this week. Welcome to Hand of Pod. try and avoid for as long as possible in a recording. Um, last week's episode took me a while to edit because we didn't all record it in order. I hope that none of you realise that. Um, I'm Sam Kelly. Welcome to Hand of Pod for another week. This week I'm joined just by the one person, it's Andres Bruckner. Hello. Welcome Everyone. back, Andres. Um, we should mention before we get going, because it was one of the things that I completely forgot about until the end of the last episode, uh, that we are sponsored by the Argentina Independent, a fine source of English language news entertainment, cultural affairs and all kinds of other things from Argentina and across Latin America. It's free of charge to read. You can go to argentinaindependent.com and get your fix of all things Argentine. Uh, Thank you very much to them for sponsoring us. They pay for our booze and it is greatly appreciated. So we will raise a glass of Fernet to you now and clink. And if you didn't hear that, it's because they're plastic glasses, not glass glasses. Um, Thank God you you, you remember this time because... I, I and I think you also want to go on drinking for nights. So. Well, yeah, indeed, yes. Um, and it, it took me bloody ages to edit it back in, apart from anything else, and try and make it sound convincing. Um, so if you listen to the very first, the, the, the beginning, the first ten minutes of the last episode, very carefully, you might be able to hear the joins. Now, I've told you they're there. Um, but anyway, don't, don't tell Argentina Independent that we forgot that. The, the deputy editor is in fact a regular listener so I know that he'll enjoy uh, hearing this but um, we shall go very quickly as we always do through the results from last weekend hang on, first of all we should mention uh, that last week we were recording during the only um, Argentine Copa Libertadores match of the week that was San Lorenzo against San Sao Paulo, Paulo. Yes. Um, uh, Mauro Matos was it Mauro no, Matos? Well, with Calteruccio Calteruccio, thank you. I think Calteruccio scored the only goal of the game uh, very shortly before we finished recording. Um, so a lot of you would have already suspected it, but we didn't actually record until the very end of the match. Um, so just to confirm that San Lorenzo did get a 1-0 win in that match, and I'm now bringing up the table so that we can tell you what that means for their hopes. I think it means that they've got their um, qualification in their own hands. It doesn't. They're away to Corinthians uh, next week, and then at home to Danubio the week after that. They need, if, essentially, they need to win both of those games. Um, and if they do, then they need to hope that San Paolo either drops some points at some points, and that if San Paolo don't drop points, that uh, San Lorenzo can can overhaul the goal difference at the moment. San Paolo's goal difference is two, and San Lorenzo's is zero. Um, so that's the first result that's been confirmed since we last recorded. And the others, in the league at least, go as follows. On Friday, there were two matches. They finished San Miento 1, Belgrano de Córdoba 3, and Estudiantes de la Plata 1, Racing Club 1. On Saturday, we had several, and they went. Atletico de Rafaela 1, Tempele 1, Defensa Justicia 3, Rosario Central 3, Aldo Civi 2, Godoy Cruz 0, 
uh, Independiente 1, Gimnasia de Rima La Plata 1, and Vélez Sarsfield 2, Arsenal de Sarandí 1. That's certainly a match that we'll be revisiting uh, in a couple of minutes. On Sunday, River Plate beat San Lorenzo 1-0 in the big weekend Clásico. Lanús lost their 21-game unbeaten home record against Argentinos Juniors. They went down 1-0. Huracán lost 2-0 at home to Boca Juniors. Colón got a 1-0 home win over Olimpo. And, uh, oh no, that's not quite the last one. Uh, Quilmes beat Crucero del Norte 3-1. And in the final game, the the 9.30, the prime time, Big audience game. San Martín de San Juan beat Tigre 3-1. There were then two games on Monday, which finished Dueva Chicago 1, Banfield 2, and Newell's Old Boys 2, Unión de Santa Fe 0. There really is only one place that we can start this weekend, though, isn't there? (laughs) Yes, we will, of of course, talk about Boca Juniors, who are, I think, deserved uh, current leaders of, of, of the tournament. Well, we will, but in terms of the controversy... The talking point of the weekend, I think. We have to go to Liniers, first of all. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I was going to tell, perhaps briefly, that uh, you mentioned uh, the, the result between Atletico Rafael and Temple 1-1, that as a result of, of that match, uh, Sansini is the third match uh, coach that is out of his charge in the, in the tournament. Yes, because I don't know whether we mentioned Omar Labruna losing yes, his... No, we did, didn't we? Yeah, we said that last week. Um, at yes. Chicago um, so yes Sensini is out of a job at Atletico de Rafaela uh, he said he wasn't in agreement with the board's decision but that it was logical I'm not quite sure how you get from one of those statements to the other but there we go um, but the real talking point the one that's caused headlines even as far afield as England uh, was uh, referee Germán Delfino's decision to unaward a penalty um, for Bélez Sarsfield against Arsenal. The match was 1-1. It was, what, uh, 60 minutes or so in, wasn't it? About 15 12 minutes, minutes into the second half, yes. Um, when a ball was played into the centre of the penalty box and Dani Rosero Valencia, the Arsenal de Sarandi defender, handled it away from Mariano Pavone. Except that he didn't. Mariano Pavone handled it. Um the referee Delfino, uh, who'd been unsighted, Mariano Pavone was was kind of Pavone's head was in between Delfino and and the ball when it happened. Um, immediately sent Valencia off, awarded a penalty to Belles, and there ensued a big sort of five or six or seven minute fuss, um, during which Delfino decided to reverse the decision after getting a word in his ear that it had been um, Pavone's hand, not Valencia's, that had, that had hit the ball. And immediately, uh, people started to ask what had happened. How, how had the decision been taken? Let's say that uh, whatever the decision would have been, I mean, <clears throat> awarding the penalty to Vélez or uh, uh, leaving the, the game uh, go away, go, uh, continue, uh, would be fine, would have been fine. Uh, the problem is that independently of what uh, he did or what he was helped uh, by if TV or, or, or the assistance or whatever it was four minutes between the decision he had made and the final decision which was to uh, not to award the penalty and uh, permit Rosero Valencia to get to the field uh, to the pitch again uh, that is not very common uh, 
uh, independently of, of, the, of TV or not TV. Uh, when the referee uh, generally, uh, uh, Argentina is a particular uh, country to talk about football because every every week there's, there is a, 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 a one, two or, or a lot of particular uh, thing, particular things that happen. In this case, it's, well, <laughs> it was more, even more particular. But uh, to, 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 to this decide to award the penalty, and well, this is it. To send off, send send off, uh, Rosero Valencia and that, it's okay. To uh, go the other way around, and 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 decide that it wasn't a penalty, and to uh, 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 permit Rosero Valencia to get into the match again, independently of of the help of TV or not, mm. that is also particular or or strange. That's unusual, but it is um, at least allowed within FIFA's reg yes. regulations and, and indeed the AFA's regulations and what's not of course and the reason that this has caused so much um, of a fuss all over the world is that television uh, is not allowed to be used even if it means that the correct decision has been taken there haven't been too many complaints from Vélez I suppose partly because they ended up winning thanks to a penalty scored by Milton Caraglio awarded for a foul on Mariano Pavone and indeed Danny Rosero Valencia got himself sent off five minutes into stoppage time so in a way um, it didn't change an awful lot at all, which is quite funny, I suppose, if you look at it that way. Um, and it's also one of the, the sort of forgotten things of this. I, I quite liked the, the symmetry in terms of, of how things ended up. These things really do balance themselves out, as the old cliche goes. Um, I, I think Boca, Boca Stadium, the Bombonera, has also monitors or TV screens in which, and, and they are in, indeed near the, 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 the bench. The, uh, and several times Arbaborena or, or whatever the, the coach was at, uh, tried yeah. to, to, to look at, the, at, that, at that screen to see or to watch what, whether the, the decision of the, re the referee was right or wrong but uh, uh, they, this is good for Boca they cut the, trans the broadcasting of the, of the match when there is the replay yes, yeah um, what they don't do is they don't do that near the popular uh, or at least they didn't do when I first got here five years ago, five years ago on Friday in fact, because my, the, the game I went to in La Bombonera and was at the Popular uh, was about two weeks after that and the press section is right next to the Popular in La Bombonera, the, the La Dose Popular um, and I was pressed up against the plexiglass that was separating the Popular from the press and could see the the same replays of the, the, the Football yes. Paratoros coverage uh, which they get on the, on the televisions in in the press section, um, so the replays there are visible, and that's a, you know potential <laughs> problematic. Um, but there you go; it didn't seem to cause any any particular trouble. Um, the main interest in 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 this is is that uh, Germán Delfino, the referee who took the decision, is is one of not just Argentina's but one of South America's best young referees. I think it's fair to say. Um, and has given you know interviews in the past. He, he did a fairly recent interview on a, on an online television show called Arroban, um, in which he he sort of tried to give his opinion um, on video technology. Uh, he ended up being talked over by one of the hosts, but he he you know was was kind of open um, to it if it could be implemented. But a point that he makes very well is that it, it's something that that would help referees to make the decision, and if it helps them to make a correct decision, then why not? But at the same time, Argentina, South America is is a realm where there isn't 
too much money sloshing around and so whether it can even be installed at all of the clubs in the Premier and never mind the lower leagues is another matter and, and that's one thing where you, you perhaps do have a problem I mean, um, I, let's say that the, the, the players the coaches the, the directives they don't help uh, apart from that they don't help because uh, when Roberto Mononcieri the uh, assistant of uh, Palermo the Arsenal coach was told that it was it hasn't it hasn't been penalty that uh, the hand uh, the one who committed the, the foul was Mariano Pavone uh, made a, a gesture with like saying no to the uh, inside the, the the pitch yeah telling Delfino it was it hadn't been penalty uh, because he he didn't want the penalty to be awarded to to Vélez, not because it was fair or unfair and that's the point also that. And Russo, but that's, that's something you're going to get anyway whether he's been told it's not a penalty yes. or not of course he's going to protest it so I don't have so much of a problem with that but I mean wh where it, it does become a problem is where the media uh, are coming into it and using it for their own ends as well we have for instance today um, uh, TN who are Todo Noticias who are one of the news channels here um, have, have been putting out a montage proving that the Football Para Todos producer who was pitch side talked to the fourth official and that the fourth official then talked to Delfino on the pitch via the earpiece and that was what caused Delfino to to change his mind. And what Tayen didn't show, that they made a video montage which appears to be in real time until you pay attention to the clock in the top left corner, <laughs> at which point it becomes evident that the, uh, the short couple of seconds that they show of the Football Para Todos commentator Okay, we don't know what was said, but appearing to, you know, say yes, it was Pavone's handball or whatever, occurred two minutes after the subsequent bit the, of the clip that they then show of Delfino I, reversing I his decision. I watched the play also, and, and the first replay, they continue saying that it was a, 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 a penalty mm. and that it was okay to give it to award it to, to Vélez. And the third one was the 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 one in which they they told they could tell that. It, oh no, it wasn't penalty. It was oh, was this after or before uh, Delfino's decision? Because I didn't see the match. I was, no, I before Delfino, Delfino's decision, but okay. they had to watch it with a slow motion mm. and, and not only one. Yeah, uh, I mean, it happened quickly and it isn't clear in, in, in spite of the fact that Pavone is white and Valencia is black. You would think that a hand whacking the ball but because, Palermo, of, because Pavone's head was Palermo said this a bit of racist comment saying it was a black or a hand. What? Uh, or a white hand. But that's the thing, it's not that simple, is it? I mean, okay, it, it's uh, an, a similar theory is, is, is behind why goalkeepers are supposed to wear a completely different colour to outfield players so that the referee can see with an outstretched hand whether it's, it's an outfield player handling the ball or not. But when you have Pavone's head essentially in the way of the decision, both for the referee and for the TV cameras, it doesn't become that easy, especially when both arms are raised very close together. I think it smacked, if anything, actually my, my initial thought was that it had hit... Um, Valencia in the head. Yes, he was like this. Like, but it turns uh, out Pavone handled it. Maybe. Who knows? But anyway, there we go. That's the main talking the, point. The, the, the concrete thing is that the, the Delfino was helped by television. Really helped by television. It was confirmed somehow. Not by him or not by... But uh, it was like that because he wasn't uh, in the list of referees for, for ninth round. Uh, which means... That his uh, his work was judged as a as not a good one. Yes, um, 
in that decision, the AFA have, have vindicated Delfino. They've said that he did a good job and there was nothing wrong with it, uh, with that decision individually. But they have said that there were other mistakes made during the match and it wasn't Delfino's best game. And as a result, he's been given a one-game suspension in inverted commas he's been told to take a break basically for this coming weekend uh, this is something that's fairly common would, in would the Argentine have, have been any riots or things like that taking into account that it was a, a very polemic uh, situation and, and for less than that in, in, in another matches there were uh, things thrown to the pitch or, or something like that yes Absolutely, and let's not forget as well that Delfino is, is the referee who was hit at, it wasn't Central, was it, one of the other matches? Rafaela against mm. uh, Olimpo, no, uh, Olimpo, no, I don't remember. I meant Rafaela against somebody, um, and he uh, decided to continue the game, and that, that he was the subject of one of our uh, discussions a couple of weeks ago about how basically referees should perhaps stop the game after that happens, especially if it happens to them, um, but there we go. That was the main talking point, but there were plenty of other points and plenty of other very entertaining matches as well this this weekend just gone. We had Lanús losing uh, their unbeaten run, that, that long home unbeaten run, stretching back to, I think, the end of the Tornel final, um, or the middle of the Tornel. 21 no, in fact, matches sorry, in, La- in Lanús. It was just over a year, in fact, 21 league games in their own stadium, um, which began in, in March or February last year. Um, they lost 1-0 to Argentinos Juniors. It was only 1-0. It was a masterpiece of, of counter-attacking football from Argentinos, especially in the second half after they admitted they'd been slightly overrun in the first. But actually, I thought it was a pretty good game as well. I mean, it wasn't just attack against defence. And, and Argentinos needed to get back on top after a couple of games where they slumped a bit. And I thought they did very well. Yes, and, and well, it was a bit... Uh, uh, the spread thing about Lanús is that they will face Banfield now, this mm. ninth round. And there was a, another another situation we, that we must tell uh, that it was Frisler hit by a, by a member, a socio, yeah. after the match, and with, of course, no, apparently, no away supporters. In this case, it was a home supporter, the sub- supporter of this, the same team. Uh, as Frizzler Lanús hitting, uh, uh, punching him, and and well, the, the 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 member or the socio was was sent off of the club. Right, uh, this was quickly made by. Yeah, they've rescinded his membership, banned him from the stadium. But this apparently proves... it was known as well. They, they, they said afterwards that they'd seen his face before as he was walking down the corridor, and they recognised him. This proves that Afa Plus. Uh, or non 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 away supporters allowed to 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 go to the stadiums. Nothing is for sure if if there is crazy man uh, that uh, punches the, the the player of their 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 same team because yeah. uh, when the match was was being played, I think he that guy wanted Lanús to win and Fristler to play okay to play a good a good match, and after the match he punches him. Mm. So it's crazy about uh, one of those, those crazy things happening in, in Argentina, talking about football. Indeed, absolutely. Um, so Lanús uh, win, and indeed, maybe early title challenger in, in Tatas. 
um, Argentinos very much back on track. The Clásico that had taken place, well, it kicked off an hour before that, so it took place sort of at the same time, overlap with it. River Plate against San Lorenzo. Um, of course, we always discuss River at, at, at some length on this podcast. We're both fans of River, and obviously it makes sense to talk about River and Boca, who we'll get on to next. Um, it was... San Lorenzo's second defeat of the the championship. San Lorenzo went into it top of the league. Andres, we've been talking so far all year, really, about how River are struggling to find their feet and struggling to look like themselves again. Um, what did you think of, of their performance against San Lorenzo? I, I think it was nothing new. Something similar to the recent matches we have been talking about. Uh, with a, a, a very a magnificent play that ended with the goal, with uh, a magnificent pass by Drusi, uh, completed by Rojas, who assisted perfectly to Sanchez, who was in the, in the box and, and, and had only to push it to the net. Not only push it, but, well, in, a, in to talk a bit uh, uh, how simple it was for him. And uh, after that, it was uh, uh, San Lorenzo trying to push River into his box, uh, with Romagnoli coming to the match a bit late by Bausa, clearly was the one who made the, the most dangerous place from San Lorenzo. But uh, it was as with, well, as has been happening when River plays San Lorenzo at the Monumental, a very defensive draw by 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 Bausa, uh, making San Lorenzo wait River in their home in their own side. And, and River having that <coughs> magnificent play, I, I, I just said, and then it, the, it was the, the same fear that uh, we had in, in past matches in which uh, any ball in the box, loose ball, could finish in, 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 in a goal with a, with a clear save, a magnificent save by Barovero at the end of the match. Yeah, there was one very good save by Barovero. Um, so it was, I think, nothing new in terms of, of how River played. was better than San Lorenzo. Barbero has had only that save, which means San Lorenzo didn't attack very much. But it was in the, in the, in the air, the sensation that, that River uh, couldn't take a better advantage or a, a, a better or a, a bigger difference in terms of goals because... Uh, uh, well, they lack. They are lacking. They are, they are suffering from a lack of of, of uh, accuracy. To, well, uh, yeah, they can't seem to get enough shots on. Yes, Pati- I mean enough shots in in general, but also their uh, strike rate in terms of getting the shots they do have on target isn't isn't fantastic at the moment. Um, but I I really wish that he's he's unable to come at the moment for uh, for his own reasons. But I really kind of wish that Mariano was able to make it a little more often because I want to ask you about this San Lorenzo side at the moment who away to River were until about the last 10 or 15 minutes. I mean, it wasn't like, OK, River were dominating the play, River had a lot of the ball, River were doing most of the attacking. But to a certain extent, that was because River were you know, playing as, as they generally do. But to another extent, it was because San Lorenzo were letting them. San Lorenzo didn't really come out and try to Too much respect. Too much respect. Exactly, yeah. I mean, this is a classico and it's between two of the big five. It's not like San Lorenzo are a small side. But until Leandro Romagnoli seemed to decide with about 15 minutes to go, OK, balls to what Bowser has told us to do. I'm going to try and go out and get an equaliser. Um, it was really bizarre to, to watch a team play like that. 
Um, obviously, what? you know, River are a side who've beaten San Lorenzo five or six yes, times talk, in a row now. Talking, but, talking since uh, from, from a San Lorenzo supporter, hypothetical way of thinking, why, the, why didn't Bausa put uh, Romagnoli 20 minutes before, for example? Hmm. We we know that he's not as his best physical form and he's playing all, uh, some matches at Copa Libertadores and and well it's not easy for a thirty something uh, footballer to 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 get, go and play every match as if he were a young younger but well uh, 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 I think fifteen minutes twenty minutes before I, I I think from a San Lorenzo supporter yeah. I, I, I would agree. Uh, moving on, Boca Juniors, 2-0 win away to Huracan uh, with Marcelo Meli scoring both goals. If you've heard me talk about Meli before on this podcast, you'll have heard me call him Cesar, but I'm now caving to popular demand, uh, that is to say popular demand among the people of Argentina rather than listeners of Hand of Pod, and indeed to his own uh, apparent decision to call him Marcelo. He prefers Marcelo. I've no idea why people generally were calling him Cesar for the first few months he was in the Boca first Similar team. as Riquelme, perhaps, that he's Roman, not Juan. No, no, I understand that. What I don't understand is that when he first broke into the Boca first team, everybody called him Cesar Meli. And it seems to have taken about six months for anybody to realise that he didn't want to be called Cesar Meli, even though he perhaps himself has always said he prefers Marcelo. Bit weird. Meanwhile, he was at Colón, perhaps. Now, no one took care about no. that. And <laughs> he's a Colón player, who yes. cares, yeah. Um... But he played very, very well, uh, scoring twice from midfield. Boca, in general, um, I thought it was probably the best performance we've seen from Boca so far this year. Boca haven't played anybody yet <laughs> as such. They've been criticised, not just by us, for, for having a quite easy start to the year. Um, but against was the hardest, perhaps, side in previously... Talking. Yes, certainly. Yeah, uh, last week, of course, in, in the three 0 win, and Estudiantes kind of made that a bit easy for Boca in their own way as well by getting two people sent off and just generally not reacting when Boca took a, a, a quick two 0 lead with a couple of goals in two two or three minutes just before half time. Um, but against Huracan, actually, I, I, I was impressed by Boca. It was an interesting game. It was never dull, um, mostly because. Meli's first goal went in about halfway through the first half and the second one didn't come until there were two or three minutes to go. Um, and in the meantime, Orakan managed to threaten a couple of times on the counter-attack. I mean, Orakan didn't play too badly, but generally speaking, in spite of the fact that it was relatively close scoreline-wise until the last few minutes, uh, I thought Boca thoroughly but deserved it, the win. It was like like there was going to be another goal. It will, it will be 1-1... One, one. Or 2 nil for Boca. Exactly, yeah, that was the danger, wasn't it? But if yeah. Orakan had got that equaliser, okay, you and me as River fans, we would have been laughing. But in truth, it would have been harsh on Boca. Yes. But um, the, the man that we have just watched at the screen, because Orakan is playing <laughs> right now, is Ramon Avila, who had scored three for three times last uh, previous match, and in this case, he had not a, a, a accuracy at all. So No, indeed. Um and when he did, uh, Guillermo Sara, the second choice goalkeeper, of course, for Boca, because Agostino Real is suspended, um, did, did very well to, to deny him on a couple of occasions. Um, the three results that we have just mentioned uh, mean now that River Plate and San Lorenzo are tied on 18 points after River beat San Lorenzo, of course, and that Boca have leapfrogged San Lorenzo into first place. They've got 20 points. But there's another side who've also got 18 points, and that is Rosario Central, who remain unbeaten, 
As are Boca and River and someone else. Let me remember. Hang on a second. I can do this. Well, up to this, a round was Union, but they have been beaten. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, sorry. Those are the only three teams left unbeaten now. Uh, Central, River and Boca. Um, but have now drawn three times in a row. And this one was the daftest of all. Because they took the lead three times and they surrendered the lead three times to draw 3-3 three, three away to Defensa y Justicia, who, with the best win in the world, aren't very good. We have to now ask, what has happened to Central? They've drawn three in a row. Okay, they've dropped six points. They're still unbeaten. If, well, if we'd said after eight games, if you'd offered Eduardo Caldet five wins and three draws in his first eight matches, he would have taken it, no doubt. But are the fixtures getting tougher? They don't seem to be. Well, I, I watched the, the parts of, of the... Of the very good match indeed mm. between defense and oh, it's fantastic entertainment, yeah. Uh, and San and, and Rosario Central, and I I heard Codet, uh, uh, how do you say, uh, when you are not uh, satisfied with the performance of a player and you tell him to do the things differently with the left back, who is Eros uh, Elias, Gomez. Elias Gomez. Well, uh, Defensa Justicia insisted in attacking at his side because he was awful and, and, and Codet uh, uh, could tell uh, about that and, and I think not only was he awful but also Ciro Rius who was the defensive Justician winger who was on that side of the pitch had a very good game in his own right as well I think that was a combination of both because uh, uh, Rodriguez was uh, Elias Gomez sorry not Rodriguez uh, uh, was I, I heard Codet saying him like de tu madre something like that <laughs> Come on, and, and that stuff. So he was not very satisfied with his performance. And so Andres has uh, just um, censored himself while saying that. But you can say it out loud, Andres, because none yes. of our listeners understand. But uh, he, he basically the gets same, swearing. Same <laughs> words as Messi said this uh, this week. La concha de tu madre. Yes. Yes, yes I've forgotten about Messi saying it. Uh, so that, that's uh, the phrase of the week for any um, people who want to learn Spanish. Don't ask your Spanish teacher what it means. You'll probably get some strange looks. Uh, but it is an insult. Uh, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> I, I think that both teams were, yes, good, of course, good in attack and bad in defence. Uh, and Defensa Justicia, is, I think, is used to these things because they play they attractive style, like Banfield, for example, mm. last tournament... Attractive style of play, trying to attack constantly, but of course, if you attack constantly, you leave spaces in defense, and, and, and well, they didn't cover cover the, those spaces very well. And Banfield in this championship as well, because that's a perfect excuse to talk about one of the sides at the moment. And of course, we've mentioned Lanús losing as, just just before the Clásico, and now Banfield are coming into the Clásico, uh, the Clásico del Sur, the 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 southern derby. That's the south of Buenos Aires rather than the south of Argentina, the south of Greater Buenos Aires rather than the south of Argentina or indeed the Buenos Aires province. Um, on a fantastic run of form, they've won four in a row. It was probably their least convincing performance so far, in fact. A lot of that was because Mova Chicago gave it a really good go. Um, but an 86th minute winner from Lucas Viatri after Ricardo Noir had opened the scoring just nine minutes in uh, meant that Banfield beat Nueva Chicago 2-1 two goals from former Boca Juniors strikers that's not a coincidence is it um, and with Pablo Ruiz equalising early on in the second half for, for Chicago Banfield 
when we think that three matches into the season, we were talking about how Matias Almeida was under pressure. I think they they lost two and drawn one of their first three or something like that. Let's let's have a look. They they started. Like I, I remember that perfectly against Tampa Bay one nil, and they are home stadi- uh, at their stadium. That's right. So their first, f- their first four matches went loss, win, draw, loss. Uh, and at that point, Almeida's under pressure. And since then, they've won four in a row. They've beaten San Martin 3-2 um, at home. Estudiantes 2-1 away. Huracan 1-0 at home. And it should have been 4 or 5. And now, away to Chicago, got a, a 2-1, which, as we say, was was possibly their least convincing performance so far. But all the same, it says something about the character and about the faith that the players have got in Almeida. Yes, because as uh, we uh, as you have just mentioned, that uh, last tournament was like they played. Uh, it was uh, attractive. It was good. It was a healthy way of playing, but not getting the results. And in this case, playing not at their best possibilities and winning the same, somehow winning the match. That means that they have the personality to go and look for the result at the last minute because the yes was. 40 minutes into the second half, so mm. yes, and and with the they are with both of the of the backs, left left back and right back, going and trying to 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 go to the, to the attack. So it's at least from the attitude was trying to look the result at the up to the end. Indeed, uh, the champions Racing Club, um, as we mentioned towards the beginning, got a one-one draw away to Estudiantes. It was a pretty decent game, but I thought. I wasn't sure whether Estudiantes were getting better or whether Racing were getting worse or what, but uh, the second half particularly was, was was very good indeed. Not sure what to make of it though. I think the I think the draw was probably about right. Well, well, I I, I to be honest didn't watch uh, that much, but uh, uh, well, uh, uh, Racing thinking on the match that lost yesterday against Guarani to try to finish the, the qualify to the to the round of 16 yeah with well it's not sure they, it's, it's not sure but it, I, it, yeah. basically Racing there's one game left in Racing's group now and they need um, the right team of the two teams in order to, to go out Racing have to I can't remember who, who nine, nine points I think uh, it's Guarani against um I'm trying to do this. Tachira, uh, Guarani against Sporting Cristal and Racing against Tachira. Yes, and Racing need, uh, in order for Racing to not qualify. Oh no, sorry, that's. No, hang on. Sporting Cristal oh, has one. Right. Sorry, Sporting Cristal and Tachira are playing at the moment. That's that's yes. why the table was confusing me a bit. So they're, Sporting they're Cristal, if Sporting Cristal wins both matches and Racing loses against Tachira. That would make them perhaps. But basically, they need a, a massive swing in the goal difference as well. If Sporting Cristal beat Tachira tonight by a goal, and that game is about 15 minutes in now, it's on the other channel, so we don't know what the score is. Actually, I can check. Yes. Let me just change the channel. My shitty remote control allows me to. It's nil nil at the moment. If Sporting Cristal win this match by a goal to nil, um, then on the last day of the of the group, Sporting to send Racing out. It would have to be a sporting. No, no, that's wrong, isn't it? Yeah, Racing can't go out because Guarani and Sporting Cristal can't both finish above them. 
I saw somebody tweeting Seba, yeah, and the reason I've just uh, made a fool of myself there is that somebody I, uh, tweeted Seba um, yesterday and insisted that it was possible for Racing to go out, but I'm looking at the table now and I can't see how it's going to happen. If Sporting Cristal win both of their matches, then Racing still finish above Guarani. No, hang on, I can see it, yeah. Sporting Cristal beating Tachira tonight and then drawing with Guarani would put Guarani and Sporting Cristal both on nine points and then if Racing lost to Tachira by seven goals, well, <laughs> they would go out. So that's what it's going to take. Uh, they, they need a, an eight-goal goal difference swing um, ahead of Sporting Cristal in order to go out. So essentially, it's not going to happen. Yes. Um, they so they, they, the, they qualify, but it's very difficult for them to go to, to, to be out of the... Of the of the following round, seven goals and, and they play uh, they play in Avellaneda, so it's yeah. And I think to an extent that the Estudiantes game that they have one eye on on last night's Tuesday night's game, perhaps. Um, but by and large, a decent game. But I think the draw was about right. The other member of the big five that we haven't mentioned yet is Independiente. Are Independiente? We should say we're British. I'm English anyway. Um, and that one finished, and if Peter was here again, I'm sure he'd be once again disappointed in Independientes defending because they took the lead in the 41st minute through Lucas Albertengo and they conceded the equaliser in stoppage time right at the very end of the first half through Maxi Coronel to end up drawing uh, 1-1 with Gimnasia in a match that I suspect isn't going to satisfy Independiente fans very much. I watched second half, which was, of course, the poorest of of both of mm. between first and second one and second and, and uh, they didn't find they find a way to 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 get into the, the gymnasia's box and, and, and they proved they, they are awful defending defending and, and they couldn't find a way. Uh, they were missing Federico Banquecho, the new Argentina international yeah. of course in midfield. Um, he was out with a a knee injury that it's not serious, but they didn't want to risk him by rushing him back, basically, after he got back from Argentina. Well, but uh, I think that, given the results, uh, I think that they will risk him from now on, because yeah. it's Manquecho plus 10, definitely, uh, right now. It's Other talking points, San Martin versus um, Tigre on Monday night, uh, Sunday night, sorry, was, was a very good game, actually. I mean, I mocked it because it wasn't going to get much in the way of viewer numbers and I suspect it didn't uh, because why would you watch those two at half past nine if you're, you don't support one of them and, and the whole point of that match is that it's a, a box office one um, but actually it was, a, it was a pretty decent game and although it was 3-1 to San Martin San Martin's winner came at the end of the very end of the game uh, and I say winner because really up until that point Tigre were pushing hard to try and make it 2-2 and the third goal for San Martin came directly from a Tigre corner. Tigre threw everybody forward by the goalkeeper in an attempt to make it 2-2 in the final minute and San Martin counted the counter-attack and, and they awarded a, a free kick. Yeah. Should by Bogado. But uh, am I wrong? Sorry, or... it has to make it... When it was 1-1, Bogado scored to make it 2-1 from the free kick. But the ah, then Gomez, again the, yeah. third, the third. The, the third one from Gomez, the second, and San Martin's third was... Gomez was is the a f- former right-back from Racing. Uh, yes, he is, and he plays at, in, at the same at the position right back, and he scored twice. Yeah, oh, it was quite a bizarre game, but it was very entertaining. Um, Newell's old boys beat Union two 0 on Monday. They looked sort of bad to their best, but Union was so bad it was difficult to uh, really tell. The reason that we mentioned that, um, I, I must sorry, I must uh, <coughs> apologize to the Union supporters who I, I thought that they would get a better result, and I thought 
I, I, I said here last term, last episode that I I bet, bet on Union victory against Nielsen was really yes. I thought it was going to be a draw because of course up to that point Union uh-huh. going into the match had a record of two wins and five draws and no defeats I, I proved that Malcorra Triberio and Gamba well Triberio was sent off last 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 week but that Tridente or uh, Trident uh, Trident attacking, of, of, trident. Of attacking trident was was very good and news of course it was Maxi Rodriguez back and and uh, Maxi and, and Cáceres uh, also from Paraguay uh, national team was stronger side but I thought Union with those uh, decent players and, and decent of course also campaign up to now will make them win a, a, in Rosario and wasn't like that like that so. They did also pick up another red card because uh, Emiliano Echacopoulos, or Emiliano, Echacopoulos. E- essentially, uh, I think NFL Paratodos called him Emiliano Shebangs, because uh, that's almost what it means, um, got himself sent off with about two minutes to go. So there we go. The only reason that I really brought that one up was because, as we said earlier, there are now three teams left uh, unbeaten because Union's unbeaten record has now gone. Um, and of course, the very first match of this weekend. Uh, the weekend just gone was Sarmiento against Belgrano Belgrano winning 3-1 there's nothing much to say about that except that it was a clash between two clubs with names that are very important in Argentine yes. history Brussels as we say here exactly some of the founding fathers of Argentina Sarmi- well not exactly founding fathers in Sarmiento's case Sarmiento the school important figure yes and Belgrano the, founder, the creator of the flag and the anthem as well no? yes yeah no, not the flag. No, not only the... the Just the flag? Yes. Okay. Uh, but anyway, the reason that I mention that is, of course, the next section coming up on Hand of Pod is part two of our brand new section on Argentine football history. And this week it's me presenting it, so don't go away. of this week's history section is a gentleman who made his uh, who made his debut I should have counted this up before 61 yes 61 years ago on Saturday just gone last Saturday was the anniversary of the debut of Omar Enrique no Enrique Omar Sibori the other way Enrique Omar Sibori what was called Omar yeah that's what three Omar Sibori um, made his first appearance at the age of 18 for River Plate against Lanús. Um, the common story is that he replaced River's all-time highest goal scorer Anke Labruna um, in the second half and then scored River's fifth goal in a 5-2 win. But in fact, FIFA didn't allow substitutions until 1958, so I'm not quite sure whether he actually did replace him. There are competing claims saying that Sibori started the match. Um, but what's definitely known is that eight rounds after that, in La Bombonera, River beat Boca Juniors 1-0 and the performances of both Sibori and his fellow youngster Norberto Menendez enchanted the press. Sibori played a vital part in River's three consecutive championships between 1955 and 57, although he wouldn't be there long enough to be awarded a medal for the 1957 title. 
He moved to Juventus for 10 million pesos, which was at a time when the Argentine peso was actually worth something. Um, it's, 90,000 pounds, I think. Yeah, 91,000 pounds, according to Brian Glanville. Um, then, and obviously it's not the same Argentine peso now, um, and it doesn't sound like very much now, but in 1957 that was a world record fee. He was the most expensive footballer ever when he went to Juve. Um, and uh, more or less the same time as, as the great Welsh striker John Charles, who signed for Juve for I think about sixty or sixty-four thousand pounds or something. You, you can tell they cost a lot of money because with that money, River could finish their the stadium. Mm. And the stand that they built, as a result, yes. is still called the Tribuna Sibori um, to this day. At Juve, Sibori enjoyed the most famous successes of his career. He won three Scudetti in 1958, 1960, and 1961 as well as two, and I don't know whether this is Coppas Italia or whether it should be Coppi Italia, because I don't speak Italian, so I apologise to our Italian listeners, but he won the Coppa Italia in 1959 and 1960, as well as the 1961 Ballon d'Or, which of course at the time was only open to European um, players. He became eligible for that after obtaining dual Argentine-Italian nationality. In 1965, he moved to Napoli for the final four seasons of his career, where he helped them to their then-highest-ever finish in Serie A, second place that would not be bettered until another Argentine arrived from Barcelona in the 1980s, whose name we probably don't need to tell you. In 1968, a knee injury forced Sivori's retirement. Together with Antonio Angelillo and Umberto Maschio, he performed part of the strike force known as the Carasucias, or the Angels with Dirty Faces. They were also known in other countries outside Argentina, as the Trio of Death. Were they known as that here as well? Trio de la Muerte? Yes, I think, yes. Yeah. Um, in the Argentine national team, which won the 1957 Copa America, both went on to play for Italy. In Sibori's, sorry, all three, in fact, went on to play for, uh, for Italy. In Sibori's case, as part of the 1962 World Cup squad. After retiring from playing, Sibori returned to Argentina, where he managed Rosario Central, River, Estudiantes de la Plata, Racing and Vélez Sarsfield, as well as the Argentine national team, where he wrote a small chapter of Argentine football history as the manager at the time of the Ghost Team, the uh, Equipo Fantasma, the Selección Fantasma, um, a reserve national side who spent a month training at high altitude ahead of a World Cup qualifier away to Bolivia, a match which they won. In total, Sibori scored 187 goals in 364 games at club level, that's league and continental, and 17 goals in 27 internationals, 9 in 19 for Argentina and 8 in 9 for Italy. That's a bloody ridiculous average. He died at the age of 69 in 2005 in San Nicolás de los Arroyos, the same town in the north of Buenos Aires province where he was born. Yes, because of cancer, very sad death. Ten years ago... Yeah, 10 years ago in February, I think it was the 17th February, of February, yes. 2005. And as an additional, perhaps, uh, colour information, uh, I, I can say that uh, he was also compared uh, to, to, to the player you, you didn't mention, but mentioned at the same time, like Maradona, mm. because of his way of, his personality and, and his way of playing, because his favourite play was the nutmeg, and... and um, uh, when he left uh, River to play for Juventus, he had achieved three tournaments in a row with River. He actually, the fifth Not, it was a year-round championship then, wasn't it? He, he left in May '57, so oh. he doesn't actually he didn't get a um, a winners' medal for the 1957 Primera, but obviously he played a huge right. part in in that, and it's something that 
that is. But yeah. but after that, when he left to to join Juventus, River had a seventeen years of no winning, not winning any championship, mm. any tournament. So that's important. See, very important for River history because of of that also. And he's still a legend to this day, though. Yeah. Um, the the story about him replacing yeah. La Bruna obviously appears Another, to not yes. be true, but. <laughs> But all the same, um, his, his record at River and then, and then again at Juventus was, was astonishing. Uh, Roberto Bettega, former Italian uh, player for the National Italy team, said he was one of the best players in the in the history. And and former former uh, teammates uh, talked very well about him. So, and what, how, how would you describe his place at River? Because of course, when I sent the email round, as, as I always do each week, and so, to see who's available for recording this week, and then also asked who should we talk about this week, it was you who pointed out. Of course, you're, you're one of the River fans um, who pointed out that that we should talk about Seabury. How, how would you describe his place among uh, River supporters? Yes, he's one of the. Uh, there are a lot of, of how you say uh, special players that. Apart from the way they played, or, or, or the time, or the goals scored, they have a place in the in the, in the supporters' heart because of uh, something particular. And and, and see very well having their uh, this transfer that permits River finish the the the, 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 the stadium with a, a, a tribuna with his name and that's, that 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 kind of things led something different for the for supporters. So. For example, Francescoli, uh, El Beto Alonso, Norberto Alonso, Sibori, uh, La Bruna, those are, are, are very very special players that are in a, in, in a very uh, in, in a place in the in the heart of the of the River supporters. Yeah. they are different from the other. Some some players can play uh, very good and or can win titles or tournaments, but. Sibori, uh, Alonso, Francescoli, uh, La Bruna, for example, are different. Mm. And I mean, it says it all that River, the, the three other stands at the Monumental are called the Belgrano, uh, the San Martin, so that's two of the heroes of Argentine independence rather than two heroes of River's history, and the Centenario, the, the Centenary stand. Um, so Sibori is the only former player to, to have a stand named after him at, at River, which is, of course, the the biggest uh, stadium in the country, yes. the home of the national team as well. Um, and the stadium that is called, as a, a lot of teams have, their, a former president that was good for the, for the club, and, and Antonio Vespucio Liberti. Mm. And of course, yeah, the stadium is named after yes. <laughs> and a, a, a figure from Rivers history, but Sivori uh, is the only player um, who, have, well, actually, for all I know, Vespucci might have been a, a, a former player, so I won't say that right down the middle but he's the only notable player certainly um, so happy anniversary uh, Omar Sibori not that you're around to hear us and not that you would understand us if you still were but all the same we salute you um, and now without further ado we shall get on to some listeners questions we have had a fair few this week so I hope that I can scroll down and find them all accurately more or less because Twitter's rather confusing with uh, displaying things chronologically at times here we go When was that? April the 3rd, right here. We are. Phil Carney, first of all, who runs, of course, the Lanus in English Twitter, asks, ignoring the frankly bizarre 5-1 win against Godoy Cruz, Lanus have just scored four goals, have scored just four goals, 
and conceded six in seven matches this season. Considering that their next three matches are against Banfield, Boca and Thrassing, just how screwed are they? We can't make footrology, and of course it's, it's something to worry about, the, the, the lack of goals and, and proving that they have scored five only against uh, Godi Cruz, which, who is also uh, awful right now, Godi Cruz is also a team that, no, no, I, I don't know if they started very well, but uh, right now they are awful, and it's, yes, just to worry about because uh, apparently Milano had had a good replacement uh, over Santiago Silva who left the club and now they are like nothing they, they, they yeah. are it's a bit on the one hand I kind of wonder whether Phil's possibly overreacting slightly because okay if you say well excluding the Godoy Cruz win then you can also say how about excluding the San Lorenzo defeat which of course was 4-0 um, from the goals conceded column and that actually was a game in which Almost everything San Lorenzo hit on target seemed to go in. Um, but it is a bit weird, given that I said at the beginning of the year, and I, I don't feel any differently at the moment, that Fernando Monetti in goal was about the best replacement they could possibly have made. My word, or I can't have just hit the crossbar with a spectacular log from Ramon Abila while I was saying that. Um, Fernando Monetti was about the best replacement possible for, for uh, Agustin Marquesin in goal. Um, and so in terms of the defence, taking that San Lorenzo... Uh, defeat out. They've conceded two, three in, in in those seven games. That's not disastrous. The really bizarre thing is the attack, because that Godoy Cruz win was the only game in which the attack actually clicked. And as you say, Milano scored four goals, um, and it looked like oh, this is going to be it now. Lanús are up and running, and it just hasn't happened. If anything, they've fallen away since then. Um, who, who are the strikers right now, apart from Milano, or, or they play just with Milano and? And a lot of midfielders that try to go into the attack. I mean, if you look at the, the, the squad list on, on Universal Football, they actually don't have any, or they've barely got any. Uh, Sergio Gonzalez, Sebastián Leto is listed as a forward, which is a bit peculiar, given that he's a left winger. Uh, Ramon Abilo has just scored, by the way, now for Oregon to put them 1 0 up. Um, but yeah, essentially, it, it's Milano playing as a lone forward a lot of the time with, with, with several attacking midfielders Who behind him. Also and indeed, Milano really was more of an attacking midfielder before. Yes, before before uh, Silva left, Lanús, he played more as a, as a wing, as, a, as an, as, as an atta- attacking player that was more from the border of the, of the, of the pitch and not as a number nine, for example, or, or central, central striker. Yeah, exactly. And so it's it's a bit weird. And, and I think Lanús have got far more problems in attack than they have in defence. The seven goals in seven matches, or whatever it was that Phil uh, said said that they they conceded six goals in seven matches conceded. Um, is yeah, sure that that's one thing. But at the same time, as I say, the San Lorenzo game really was the the one game in which the defence fell apart and everything San Lorenzo hit seemed to go in. Uh, I don't think that that's as much of an issue, but certainly in attack, it's a problem. And against Banfield in the next game, who have been playing very attacking all year, um, it, it, it's going to be an issue. And they have got some trickier fixtures coming up. They've they, they've had until now their opponents have been Quilmes, Belgrano, Union, Arsenal, Godoy Cruz, Gimnasia, who, with the greatest respect to all of those clubs, are not on the same level as the teams they've just lost to: San Lorenzo and Argentinos, who are playing very well at the moment. And now they've got Banfield, Boca, Racing, followed by. 
Tigre at home, who are potentially tricky. Then Central, who started very well and is still unbeaten at the moment, before another slightly easier run, Olimpo Tempoli, Atletico Rafaela, Colón, Defensa Justicia, San Martín. But for the next month or two, you would expect Lanús to certainly find it hard, and they're going to have to step things up, certainly. We forgot about Lautaro Acosta uh, playing there, but it's similar as, as Milano. The, the, the position in which he plays, or natural position, is is more outside the, the box and not uh, a, a reference, a, a natural reference like, like Silva was. Uh, Lautaro Acosta is similar as Milano, trying to to go to the from the side and not uh, just to uh, strike to the box. So uh, that makes Melano play there in the box and and, and perhaps uh, Acosta trying to 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 complement him. But not mm. it's not the, the ideal, I think, for Lanús attack. No, I think they need to basically to find somebody, as you say, to to replace Silva properly. I don't think that the plan was for him to fall out with the Barrosa Gilotos quite as much as he did over the summer. <laughs> they clearly didn't want to let him go. Um, Matt Richardson asks, I've been trying to educate myself about Argentine soccer. So far, I've read a book about Atlanta and Argentine Jews, which is interesting. I don't know where you got that from. Um, actually, I wouldn't mind hearing the, the title of that one. And uh, Martin Caparros Boquita. Since Jonathan Wilson's book doesn't come out until August, where should I go from here? And I made a point before, because Matt asked this yesterday, uh, of checking with him that he understands Spanish, because, frankly, most of our answers are going to be in Spanish. There are a couple in English, um, one of which has been published. And it is um, Joel Wilson's... Joel Wilson? Good grief. I'm sorry. Joel Richards, I'm the contributor, Joel Richards, uh, book called Super Classico, an e-book, which is available on Amazon. It's a history of River Against Boca, um, so I highly recommend that one to start with. And also, and I've said this before and uh, been uh, brought up on it by one of our regular listeners, but I'm going to, to cont- by, by David Ellingham, but I'm going to continue uh, saying it, that David Goldblatt's book, um, The Ball is Round, contains some very good chapters on South America generally, um, and obviously on Argentina and Brazil specifically. Uh, there is also, as one of our other listeners at some point pointed out, I think it was another listener, it might have been Matt again, let me just scroll up and see, Darren Paul, uh, who's got a couple of questions later on, points out, he, he's just read Golasso um, by somebody else, I read that a few months ago, and I would say that Golasso, which is the history of South American football, is going to give you a very decent um, broad overview, it's very, very, very broad brushstrokes, it's not going to sort of teach you very much if you already have a decent understanding of the history. But if you don't know anything, then certainly it's a good starting point. Um, so, yes, that. And then in Spanish, I'm looking at Andres now and hoping that he knows a few. There, I mean, there are loads, but as a general primer, any ideas? Uh, there, there are a lot of authors or, or journalists that, that wrote uh, decent books, like one of the... One, one of the of the my favorite, for example, journalist that uh, I think I I don't remember now the name, but I think he wrote a a, a, a nice book on history is Alejandro Fabri, who is uh, likes to to talk about history, not only about present. As I was just about to say myself, I have one here by Alejandro Fabri called El Nacimiento de una Pasión, which is uh, it contains basically a whole bunch. It's 180-ish pages. And it contains a whole load of potted histories of basically any club you care to mention. 
um, from the particularly the Greater Buenos Aires region and Buenos Aires province, and also some of the bigger clubs in the interior. Um, if you can get hold of this, then I would definitely recommend it. Obviously, it's only in Spanish; it's not available yes. in English. Um, but that's very good. And he did another one called Historias Negras del Fútbol Argentino, the dark side of Argentine football, which again is only available in Spanish. But if you can, if you can get hold of that, highly recommended. Yes. Um, next question is for, and by the way, Universitario have just equalised. It's one-one now in in Parque Patricios with five minutes to go till halftime. Um, Simon Penrose asks, just how good is Giovanni Simeone, and will we see him lighting up Europe? Are you impressed with him? It's hard to say if he's good or not when he's not playing, uh, because right now he's not uh, being taken into account by by Ajardo, uh, uh, neither in the uh, tournament nor in the Copa Libertadores, and uh, anyway, uh, and, and even though that uh, the thing that he's not playing, he's not taking part of the team. Uh, he's been has been spotted by by Palermo, uh, pro- uh, provided that he, they are trying or they are looking for a for Dybala to go out from the club. And in that case, Simeone it's uh, look being looked by Samparini uh, from Palermo. So it'll be, it's not it's, uh, really the same kind of player. No, 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 they're not the same, but. Uh, it was, as I read today, it was him or Caleri from Boca, uh, and they will offer. They I've, will offer seven million euro for. I've got to be honest. If I was the person in charge of Palermo's transfers, I'd take Caleri. I think he's more has more. He's the, a lot more, more proven, and, and he's actually played at first division level a hell of a lot more, and has looked good. Whereas yes. Simeone, he's not Boche. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Boschet is a centre forward who's made something like twenty-nine or thirty odd appearances for River now and scored one goal. Simeone but appears Simeone to, has, centre has, to be better than that. But Simeone was born in Spain and perhaps in terms of uh, Europe, the, the passport. Yeah, that's true. But um, no, in terms of how good he is, we've not really seen yet because, as Andres says, he came into the team under Ramon Diaz, and since Gachardo took charge. He's been relegated slightly, so it's very difficult to see. And he's got a hell of a lot of competition ahead of him, obviously, in, in the river forward line, um, to break through. One thing we do know is that he hasn't broken through, so he can't be you know, the next Alfredo Di Stefano. But we probably already knew that he wasn't the next Alfredo Di Stefano anyway. Is he decent? Hard if to say. They, if Palermo lo- looks for money, they, it's okay because they are they will sell... If they sell Dybala, if they sell, it, it will be for... 40, 50 million euro, mm. and, and, and spending seven, seven in in, a, in another player is good for their economy. Uh, but yes, but, uh, Dybala is is scoring almost every match, and he's already at, already there. And Simone must prove that he's he's uh, made for for European football, as, yeah. as he's not playing even in, at River. And at this stage, I would say he appears to be a decent player. But if you see a European club buying him. Like now, it would be a slightly bizarre transfer to make. I think it's fair to say. I I, I see him more like, know. for example, Rogelio Funes Mori has been sold, not not scoring any goals or or, or a few of them. Yeah, that's true. Um, he went to Benfica, played for Benfica B, and then he he now is at the at Turkish football, not mm. not a, a major league in, in Europe. So it's perhaps similar case. He's not playing right now, so. Uh, Matt Richardson is back and asks another question. Spinning off from the Bachata question a couple of weeks ago, what are your favourite Argentine rock bands and are there any good current ones? 
I'm not much of a rock fan. I don't dislike it, but it's not my thing. I prefer funk and soul and jazz and salsa. Um, so I'm going to mostly uh, defect to Andres on this, but before I do ask Andres his favourite band, I am going to say that I do like Very Sweet. Well, the, that is a good, a good band that used to play with Gustavo Cordera. The, 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 the yes, they're not, they're not current, really. No, no, I not mean, currently. the best the, incarnation of them are current. He's, fa- he's, uh, he's the, the famous uh, uh, character of the, of the band. He was the singer, now he's as a soloist. And another another popular and good a good band to follow is uh, not anymore at Los Piojos, but Ciro, Ciro per, eh, no, Ciro Martinez, mm. who whose band is Ciro and Los Persas, the Pers- Persians will be the yeah. uh, that is one and another one. Well, that is one of the decent. Uh, perhaps Babasónicos not favorite for for me. Oh, Babasónicos, yeah, I don't mind them. But some uh, of them. They have played even in Europe, I think, and they are well well known. Uh, talking about good and, and famous Argentinian bands. Going back to Best Suisse, I, I made a few Argentine friends very jealous because I saw them in 2007 in Madrid in a nightclub that was just ever so slightly bigger than this living room. Um, it was very good. I mean, when they play here, they play at River Plate Stadium and they sell it out in you know a day. Um, so to see them in a, a tiny club in Spain was... Then brilliant. if you ask me what I am... Listening right now is for another art, artist which is not very known abroad, but is has history here. Is uh, Palo Pandolfo. Palo Pandolfo. Is I think he's decent. He's good and uh, plays various various rhythms. Not only rock. He plays folklore, rock, uh, uh, perhaps some some cumbia, not bachata. Unfortunately, mm. not bachata. To tie this in a bit with football, a load of these bands that have also done songs that have something to do with football. Yeah. Ber Sweet have one called Toco y Boy, and of course the Ber Sweet's frontman Cordera, who's no longer with Ber Sweet, is, is a very uh, well known as a Lanús fan. Um, and actually, as well, classics, not current at all, but Soda Stereo are probably the most obvious to, to pick. People in North America have heard of them. Um, Salta La Banca is another band that is having their name here. I've seen that name, yeah. If you want stuff that's actually really popular in Argentina at the moment, though, you don't want Argentine bands, you want Uruguayan ones. La Vela Puerca no te va a gustar. Exactly. Um, Leo Russomano asks, is there an obsession in Argentine football about who deserved the result? In inverted commas. It seems like it to me, and it's bordering on the extremely annoying. Um, I would say that they're kind of... I wouldn't say an obsession, but certainly they go on about it a lot. And maybe... Sorry? What was the question, right? Whether the media tend to talk most, you know, and I guess the players actually as well, because he just says in Argentine football, but about which team deserved to win, as opposed to looking at why which that another team did win. Um, well, there's a lot of talk about, oh, you know, we play the better football, we try to attack more, and therefore we deserve to win the game. I, I'd agree with him on that. Uh, well, uh, at this San Lorenzo, the, the journalist that cover San Lorenzo every day say that San Lorenzo before River playing against River that match was a, a, a totally in favour of, of, of River that they have had played better than their rivals independently mm. of winning or not they have had played be- better than, than than their op- opponents so uh, or, or you you mean the, the they say 
The players saying that they play better than the... Yeah, I mean, I don't know what layout means, but certainly, I, I don't know exactly what layout means, I should say, but certainly I sometimes find that basically whichever team did more attacking, that tends to be the team that people latch onto, that the players from that team and also journalists will say, oh, this team deserved to win. When in fact, if you actually look at the, you know, how the match went, you could say, well, okay, the other team were playing on the counter-attack and actually they controlled the game better. They allowed the other team... No, they allowed the more attacking and in inverted commas side to have all those shots because they were outside the box, miles out. Yeah, the statistics are impressive, Bumfield, but they wouldn't Bumfield, actually play that well. Bumfield, for example, Almeida said a lot of times, several times, that if he had four or five strikers, he would put them all together in the in the, in the Exactly, and, and that's where you start to... You know, consider the fact that well, if if your auntie had bollocks, she'd be your uncle, as we say where I'm from. Um, so yes, Leo also asks: as a River fan, I find the presence of the useless track around the pitch annoying. What would it take to rid the Monumental of it? There's an interesting story about that track around the pitch. When River built the Monumental, um, they did so, I think, partly at least with funding from the Buenos Aires city government at the time, and the track was put in in order that if Buenos Aires ever won the rights to host the Olympic Games, they would have a stadium there yes. to host the track and field events. And of course, Buenos Aires never has hosted the Olympic Games. The idea seems absolutely ridiculous now when you look at the amount of money required to do that and the amount of money that there is in Argentina. Um, but Buenos Aires is hosting the Olympic Games of a sort in 2018. They're hosting the world, the, the, world, yeah. the, the Youth Olympic Games. Um, and they're building, or at least Mauricio Macri, the current mayor of Buenos Aires... He won't be mayor of Buenos Aires for much longer because he's not going to be after this year because there are elections very soon. Uh, but the current mayor of Buenos Aires has announced plans to build a new athletic stadium for it. And literally, that running track has not been used by anybody apart from the kids who go to the River Plate School <laughs> since it was built in the 1950s. Um, to and, the point and, and, where... And that track mean, uh, means uh, supporters being by far... Far away from there. Exactly, which is why Leo says that he finds the presence of the track annoying. Um, And to answer his question, what will it take to rid the Monumental of it? The answer basically is is money. Um, The current River president, Rodolfo D'Onofrio, who's now been in charge at River for two Two and a half, two and a half years of it? Or one and a half? No, it's 2013. Yes, it's one and... One and a half, yeah, you're quite right. Um, Part of his, his campaign to be club president was actually that they'd remodel the Monumental if they could find the funding for it, including taking the bottom tier of the pitch and extending it right down to not quite pitch side. It wouldn't be quite like La Bombonera where it's right boxed in, um, but to much, much, much closer to the pitch, but perhaps like Rassing minus the moat. Um, and the, the other, the other and, thing and is when, putting a roof on is it, it where? Because exactly, yeah. I mean, And also putting a roof on it. And, and the thing that comes in with all of these proposals is just that it involves an amount of money that never mind just River, but that no club in Argentina can can make. I mean, Independiente remodeled their stadium because Sergio Aguero was sold for an astronomical sum of money, and then was sold again from Atlético to to Manchester City, which meant that then the um, consolidarity, the, the uh, oh, what's it called, the um, solidarity fee that Independiente got from from Boca, Atletico Boca, some, was sufficient. Uh, like they were like uh, saying they would perhaps move. Oh, Boca have talked about a new bomb on era for. But uh, they, years and they years are and spending years. a lot of money to uh, uh, paying high-valued contracts right now mm. with Peruzzi, with Osvaldo, 
with the uh, Lodeiro and and it is said that Tevez will. There was a figure out last week that said that Osvaldo was getting four million dollars from Boca for a six month loan or something, wasn't there? I don't know the figures. I mean, these in in Argentine football terms are sums of money that just don't exist. Basically, they're, they're, they're huge. So, what what it would take to remodel the Monumental is you know a huge government or possibly AFA loan as well, because maybe they could say, well, the national team play here, I might remodel it. But yeah, I mean, Leo, you're not alone as a River fan. A lot of River fans think the same thing. We, we and I include myself in this, would love to see the Monumental have the running track taken out because it's never had anything done on it. Um, but it simply isn't going to happen. It's going to take a hell of a lot more money than exists in Argentina at the moment for that to happen. Um, Phil points out that he tweeted a question about Lanús earlier in the week, Phil. We've asked that one already. Thank you for reminding me, though. Um, a beach in Brooklyn adds on to, to, Len, uh, to, to Leo Rosamano's question, saying, I can't think of any other stadium in Buenos Aires with a track for sporting events um, or that call for one. So, Paul River fans, and yes, precisely. Um, Hand of uh, Football Argentina News asks, looking ahead to the Week 11 Super Clásico, who do you think will be higher in the table, Boca or River? And who do you think is the favourite? Well, the favourite will know right before it. Who do we think now is going to be higher in the table in two weeks' time? I'm going to go with Boca, because they're higher in the table at the moment, and they've got a reasonably friendly fixture list I can't remember who exactly they've got Let's just Chicago this weekend Chicago, Chicago at home this coming weekend which will surely be three points and then let's see uh, followed by Lanús away and then the form Lanús are in at the moment it wouldn't surprise me at all if Boca get, get two straight um, wins there perhaps Lanús can hold them in which case they might go in level but certainly River aren't going to be higher in the table who are the favourites? It's in La Bombonera. The way River are playing at the moment. But then Boca haven't really, as we said earlier, played anybody on that level. And indeed, you could argue with Lanus form at the moment, they won't have done before they play River. So who will win is 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 difficult to, to, to predict, but uh, historically ha- has happened that for example River uh, was better in a better position in the table, Boca worse, in a worse position, playing ugly, in a, an ugly, ugly way, River being much better, and Boca winning that match, because when when River and Boca are, are there, there is no history or no mm. uh, positions that uh, are, are uh, have to do with the, with, the, with that particular match. Exactly, and equally you could argue that when the Super Classico is played, when the Super Classico involves an away win, it's more often been Boca winning in River Stadium than it is River in Boca's. So, who really knows, basically, at this yeah, point? River get bro- it two bro- weeks. broke a 10-year uh, not winning there uh, up to the Ramiro Funes Mori, Ramirazo. Yes. Uh, head, header, but, uh, Sasha asks, which player from recent years are we most surprised has not moved to Europe? Mm. Blimey. Uh, I'm not sure we're prepared for that one. Um, Argentine players in recent seasons who haven't right been now together. in Argentina. Is right well, now in, in, I don't know how recent he means, but let's say the last decade. Let's pluck something out there. Yeah, it's very difficult to say because there are plenty of players who. I, I, it would have to be someone who's gone to Mexico, maybe, or maybe Dario Conca. But even then, it's not really a surprise that he didn't go to Europe because nobody had heard of him before he went to Brazil. So. 
In terms of the early promise that he showed, off the top of my head, very much off the top of my head, I'm going to say Manuel Lancini. Much less surprising by the time he actually left River, because by that point it was already clear that it wasn't going to happen. But in terms of the, the reputation he had when he left uh, initially to go to Fluminense, it was Fluminense, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Or Matias de Federico, perhaps he went to Corinthians or, or and was Ma- the great. Mascherano also to Corinthians. Yeah, the Mascherano went to Europe. Then, then he went thing. to West Ham. West Ham yeah. Um, but yeah, very difficult one to to answer. We'll, we'll say one of those two as a fairly unsatisfactory answer for which we apologise. Uh, Darren Paul has a couple of a few questions. Two questions, I think. Uh, his first is, who is your favourite out of Chino Inacho? He's asking more music questions again. You're being silly, Darren. Stop it. He says, mine is the one who looks like Danny Alves and dresses like a golfer. So that's dresses like Danny Alves then, right? Um, he also points out that he just bought Golasso, which is really good so far. And yes, I, as I said earlier, broad brushstrokes uh, by and large, but it's a decent primer. Uh, Chris Murtag asks, after the Delfino incident, that's the refereeing incident we talked about at the very start of the show, I was wondering, who do you guys rate currently as the top official in Argentina? And then he comes out with the slightly laughable opinion that for him, it's Pablo Lonati. I assume he's taking the piss. Because Pablo Lonati is not a good official. No. I, I I'm going to stick with Delfino. I, I think there are big names, but no good uh, reference in terms of, of how they are now, right now. There's how, nobody on Horacio Elizondo's level. Um... There, there is no Elizondo, there is no, no there is a, a Baldassi and an Elizondo or a, a Castrilli if you want. There is no stronger strong referee right now or well Delfino, but I think that this this polemic situation will uh, of course uh, uh, he will be go back several positions in, in, in his career and uh, we don't know <coughs> what, what will what will happen with him at for the Copa America, he will be taken into account, or, or he will be the he will have the same reputation as he had up to the uh, until Saturday. Uh, he was one of the best, but now uh, I, I'm sticking, it, 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 I'm sticking with Delfino. It's one incident, and in terms of just the quality, yeah. I'm going to say Delfino. Yes. Um, I, yes, I, I find it one difficult only place to think about not uh, enough to make to say, oh no, Delfino is not good anymore. Course, it would be very unfair. I mean, the others, when you're looking down the list of names of current Argentine Primera referees, <sighs> I'm finding it difficult to, to take any of them seriously, really, to be perfectly honest. Some of the younger ones, Fernando Rapalini, maybe. Um, yes. to, to an extent, Fernando Espinosa. The one's called Fernando, Fernando oh. Echenique. Is not quite so young, so if they call Fernando, then they might be okay. <laughs> yes, but there, there, there are a lot of yeah, young young referees, and, and Migliano is one of the old, old oldest, but not not that good. And honestly, Chris's suggestion of Lunati, Pompei, I'm very one. difficult, very difficult to take Pablo Lunati seriously as, as a suggestion. In this case, old means bad because Migliano, Pompei. Well, yeah. To, to an extent, certainly. But, I mean, Chris then follows up the Lunati. I, I replied to him from the hand of Bodwich, just saying, Lunati? 
Um, and I think he might have possibly slightly misread it because he says, I'm amazed he doesn't get bigger games. He's so calm and cool and lets the game flow. If you compare I mean, Lanti, less the game flow, certainly, but calm and cool does not sound like If you compare Lunati with Biliano, Pompei, some of the other experienced referees, okay, yes, Lunati is the best. But. Well, maybe. But it, a little piece of side trivia about Pablo Lunati is that he used to be a model before taking up refereeing. I only found that out a couple of days ago and it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, We've got a couple of he suggestions there. He had Chris problems with the tax office because he had some washing, yeah. car washing shops. Not that he, he didn't declare or he didn't say he, he owned. It was particular. Yes, it, that was a very bizarre um, period. That was about a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, and then Chris Hartley asked the final question of the evening. He says, in Argentina, there have been a surge of young coaches coming through. Who do you feel could go on to make it in Europe? Diego Coca could be. Coca? Okay, yeah. If, yeah. And I think um, Gachardo. Gachardo Coca. Certainly. Arroba Reina has a decent chance as well. Both of these are players, obviously, who, who have any, experience any of, in of, European of clubs. the ones that played in Europe, for yeah. example. Almeida also, I, I think he he's... One Almeida, if he continues to, to do well with Banfield this term... He, he has a, a handicap, which, which is that he is at Banfield the smallest of the younger, of the young coaches. Sure, but if he continues to impress at the moment, yes. like, like he's doing right now, then you would have to think that pretty soon it's going to be, you know, the, the memory of, of the slightly disappointing and uh, starts back to life in the Primera with River. I was going, going to, to say that you're Franco, but he's, I, I, I watch, watch, watch him... The other day against uh, Rosario Central, he's crazy, very, very crazy. <laughs> and we have to mention Eduardo Cordet. Yes. Who, okay, it's only been eight games so far, but if you compare Central's first eight games of this year, the eighth of which, uh, sorry, at one point they lost, didn't they? Which was the first one they lost, I've forgotten. But if you compare Central's opening eight games this year, sorry, no, they're still unbeaten, they've drawn the last three, we were saying this earlier, um, with Central's last eight games of 2014, obviously before Caldet took charge, and bear in mind that it's not far off being the same squad. I think he's been brilliant so far, if he can keep this up. Sorry, he's one of the oldest right now. Um, perhaps he? How old no, is no, he? No, no, I, I don't, no, I was going to mention another one. He's, one. he's the oldest one right now, but Zielinski, I was going to tell to, Oh, to sorry, I thought you meant Caldet. Yes, but as, you're quite Someone who deserves, for me, a possibility because of the serious work he, he's doing at Belgrano, four years in his charge. And mm. his but I don't think he's going to, is no, he? I mean, he's not no. going. Uh, Eduardo Cordet is, uh, is 40, so in fact he is older than yeah. some, of the, some of the players who retired before him. Because uh, Gacharado's not yet 40, is he? I think he's, he isn't. Let's look at uh, Marcelo Gachardo. Palermo is like 39, I think. And Marcelo Gachardo, I have a feeling, no, is because he, 38. He retired very He's 39 as well. He turned 39 in January, Gachardo. Um, so Caudet obviously played until he was basically 40 and, and is now um, a 40-year-old manager. Um, but they're all decent bets, I would think, to, to go to Europe, not least because in some cases they played in Europe. If so. he wouldn't complain that much, I would say Guillermo. Because talking about yeah. football, he he's decent. He yeah, had, I mean, the, 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 he the won a Copa Sudamericana. Because you can't talk about Guillermo without Gustavo. 
So, the, the, them as a manager No, they're undoubtedly talented, but obviously, as Andres says, the amount that they spend complaining uh, is perhaps a black mark against them, and I'd love to see them against European referees trying to do that. It would be hilarious. Um, that ends the question and answer section of Hand of Pod for this week. So, the next music that you hear is Mystic Sam's theme music. Last week, Mystic Sam got six or seven out of 15, so that was a bit of an improvement on the two that he managed to get last week, uh, the week before that. Um, this weekend, the matches are going to go as follows. Crucero del Norte versus Atletico de Rafaela is a Crucero win. Temperley versus Colón de Santa Fe, I think, is going to be a, a very low-scoring game uh, and a draw. Gimnasia y Grima de la Plata... No... Gimnasia Grima La Plata, without the day, um, I think is going to be... They're playing Aldo Civi, and that's going to be an Aldo Civi win. A way win for Aldo Civi. Godoy Cruz versus Vélez Sarsfield will be a draw. San Lorenzo versus Independiente is also a draw. Racing versus Huracan is going to be a Racing victory. Rosario Central against San Martín de San Juan for about the third week in a row. I'm going to predict that Rosario Central are going to get back to winning ways. Banfield versus Lanús. The Clásico this weekend is a Banfield victory. Boca Juniors versus Nueva Chicago, as we hinted at earlier, should be a Boca win. Fairly comfortable one. Olimpo against Defensa y Justicia. I think is going to be a Defensa y Justicia win. Uh, Argentinos Juniors versus River Plate is a game I'm going to and I think that River are going to get an away win Union de Santa Fe against Sarmiento is going to be a draw Arsenal de Sarandí versus Newell's Old Boys is a Newell's win Arsenal we didn't mention earlier but aside from the Delfino penalty incident but they're in awful form and Martin Palermo is now under a lot of pressure as manager they still haven't won yet this year and finally Belgrano against Quilmes is going to be a Belgrano win. Oh, that's not finally, sorry, because Tigre versus Estudiantes is, let me just check, is indeed the last match um, of the weekend and is going to be a draw. Any thoughts, Andres? I am between Tigre, uh, the draw you said, uh, between Tigre and Estudiantes or an Estudiantes win, but I won't risk any, 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 any result because of Union fail last, last week. Mm. Indeed. Um, with that, ladies and gents, we conclude the 179th episode of Hand of Pod. We will be back next week with episode 180. We would like to thank, before we leave, our sponsors, Argentina Independent, um, who are a wonderful English language source of news, current affairs, culture, all that kind of stuff from Argentina and across Latin America, who you can visit on argentinaindependent.com. Thank you very much for our alcohol, gentlemen, and indeed ladies. Um, And for now, thank you very much to our listeners for listening to us. And we'd like to say goodbye, first of all, from Andres. Thank you. And secondly, from me. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.